Hello, and welcome to God's Unfolding Promise to Renew the Whole Universe, the podcast for Grace and Hope Lutheran Church Confirmation Class. Today we are talking about Chapter 3 from Dan Erlander's Manna and Mercy. In many ways, I think the some of the information in Chapter 3 and the topic of Chapter 4 are some of the hardest things for us as Christians to really get right. We tend to think of them in ways that have not always been helpful. We'll deal with chapter four in the next podcast, but for today, I wanted to kind of take a look at what Dan Erlander talks about in chapter three, this idea of sort of manna. And part of what I think makes chapter three so hard for us as Christians to kind of understand and to comprehend is that much of it sort of runs counter to the way our culture works. When it comes to the discussion of manna and what Dan Erlander has to say about it and how it's portrayed in the Bible itself, it runs counter to how our world works, especially in regards to the idea of ownership. With the idea of manna here in the wilderness, it is God who provides. It is sort of God who has the ownership of the over all the universe. And that ownership means that there is enough for everyone. And to sort of look at what happens when we begin to collect more than what we really need and how that sort of affects those around us. Exodus has a very graphic description of what happens when we collect too much. And we'll save that for when we get to that piece of that 16th chapter in Exodus. But how does how do some of the lessons learned or portrayed in that in the story of in the wilderness school and in what Dan has to say in this chapter, how do those things sort of challenge our place, how we view our possessions within our own society? What does that mean for us as Christians? How does that change? Maybe our concept of work, of hard work, of schoolwork, homework, all of these different things that we are constantly sort of striving and achieving to obtain. What does, how might the story, the story from Exodus 16, in the, in the, as Dan Erlander calls it, the wilderness school, change how we view the world around us? I think. In many ways, this becomes quite a challenge for us because it requires us to think and see the world differently than the way we normally perceive it. We'll get into that a little bit more in our class time uh, together. But now I also wanted to kind of hit the second part of this chapter, which talks about Sabbath. And I think Sabbath really is one of these concepts that as Christians, we fundamentally misunderstand. I think, first of all, it should be pointed out that when the Bible talks about Sabbath, it's really talking about Saturday as opposed to Sunday. But as Christians, we've essentially moved the Sabbath from Saturday to to Sunday itself. And one of the re- and where this difference comes in is for those early Christians, they began to sort of celebrate the resurrection on Sundays as being sort of that eighth day of the week, even though they didn't add necessarily a, a new day into the week, 
But if the Sabbath is sort of the end, the seventh day of the week, Christians wanting to celebrate the resurrection moved, they ended up moving the concept of Sabbath and sort of merging it with sort of the, the celebration of the resurrection, which is why every Sunday, not just Easter Sunday, but every Sunday is technically a celebration of the resurrection and why it is on and why we worship on Sunday as opposed to Saturday with Sunday being seen as kind of the new thing or the eighth day, however you want to sort of look at it rather than everything that is that new creation. Uh, if you remember from the first chapter of Genesis, it was that seventh day that God rested. And now on the eighth day, God has created something new with the resurrection of Jesus. So there is that piece to the understanding of Sabbath. But even more importantly, the part that I think we oftentimes as Christians get wrong is how we view the Sabbath. Um, perhaps you have heard a grandparent or some or other more elderly, older generations talk about Sunday and what they remember of Sunday being like when they were youth and children, when shops and schools and everything was closed. And basically, you were expected to sort of go to church. You were expected to behave in church. And then you would go home. Perhaps they even lived in a family where the meal was essentially reheated because it had been made the day before. They might go and visit uh, extended family or friends. But there was essentially no work that was to be done on a Sunday afternoon, because the Sunday was the Sabbath. It was that day of rest. And while that is somewhat true of how the Bible portrays Sabbath as a day of rest, it is, after all, the, the day that God rested after creating everything else in the previous six days, according to Genesis. The way that we have often viewed it is often viewed this idea of Sabbath is as in, as is in a very legalistic, prescriptive way, where Sabbath Sunday becomes a day where you can't sort of go to work. Think of think of your of how it works currently in your own household. I suspect that there are some of you who aren't always thrilled to have to get up on a Sunday morning to go to church. And perhaps, especially when you're younger, you remember the requirements of your that maybe your parents had that you sort of behave. And by that, I mean you sit still, uh, you don't talk during the service, you don't necessarily have to pay attention, but you also can't be a disruptive force to everything around you. Um, and while there are some good pieces to that, because there are people who are, you know, trying to sort of participate, especially when you're younger. On the flip side, it sort of makes Sabbath and worship all about following a set of rules. Maybe you even remember somebody saying, oh, well, you can't run at church or, you know, make sure you don't wear a hat into the sanctuary or whatever. And that is, I think, how we oftentimes sort of view this idea of Sabbath. We have turned the idea of Sabbath into something that is supposed to meant to provide freedom for an enjoyment for all, not just humanity, but all of creation, and turn it into something that oftentimes comes with rules 
and regulations that tend to, from our perspective at least, would tend to sort of prevent that same sense of freedom and enjoyment. And that is not what Sabbath is meant to be. Sabbath is meant to be a day that provides a sense of worth, a sense of rest, and a sense of enjoyment for not just human beings, but for all of creation. And so how, and I think where we struggle as Christians is how to make that happen in a way that legitimately fulfills what God has in mind when it comes to the Sabbath. Today's chapter is sort of a first step in that direction. We'll talk, I'm sure, more about it when we get to chapter four, and then we'll also probably get to it when we hit some of the New Testament material as well. But for now, I wanted to leave you with kind of that, those two thoughts and questions of how do we conceive of our possessions and ownership in a world that where God provides the manna, and what does Sabbath mean in a way that sort of frees it to be a day of enjoyment, of restoration, and relaxation. Thank you for joining us. I hope there was something in here to help stimulate and preparation for class, and I'll see you in class. Have a good day.